right, we are now joined by a very special guest, Texas Rangers catcher Sam Huff. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for being here. You're actually the second Ranger we've had on, so shout out Nathaniel Lowe. Uh, it's great to have you on. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's it's a big time right now for the Rangers, and we'll talk all about that. Uh, but early January, we just you know passed the new year. Where are you kind of at in your off season right now? You said you're at the field. Like what? What what stage are we in right now? So I just got back from the Dominican. So I was there for about three or four weeks went there kind of just get some extra play, get ready for next year or this year for whatever we got and kind of lost some weight, you know, kind of Dominican. It's a different animal over there and just trying to make sure I get myself physically ready. Came down to see the team, some of the guys get ready to uh, attack this year. I think it's exciting from what happened last year and it's awesome for, the team overall for Texas to get their first world series ring. And it's been, it's been fun to watch. I'm, I'm very thankful to be a part of it and very thankful overall for them drafting me when they did and give me the opportunity for whatever, what is to help. Yeah, no doubt. It's a big time for the organization. It's a big time for you as well. Like what, what's your mindset going into 2024? There's obviously, you know, some opportunity for some increased playing time. Where are you kind of at with it all? You know, just staying ready. I think as a player, you don't want to push too much. You don't want to put stress on yourself. And I think having the guys that we have, Nate, Marcus, Corey, JJ, DeGrom, Scherzer, we got a lot of guys that are, you know, Jonah, like big name guys. And I think being behind them, learning from them, I think is, it's awesome. I think every player wants that. I don't think you go in thinking negative about it because I think we're in a spot where, We've done, we did something that no one thought we could do. And I think we showed up a lot of people and we showed them who we are as a team and organization. And I think people should be ready for the Texas Rangers. I think we're overall a very good organization in a standpoint of how we handle ourselves, but it's on the field, but off the field, how we take each care of each other as teammates and how we hold each other accountable. I think me being as a player, going up and down, you know, not feeling you know, it was a part of it, but being a part of it, everyone texting me saying congrats and kind of just being in the area of being able to be a part of the journey. And I think it's only the start. I do think I've learned way more than I have in the, the last couple of years than I thought I would when I got drafted when I was in 2016 as an 18 year old kid from AZ, I didn't think I'd ever experience this or be a part of it. So it, it's definitely, it's, you get chills from it, but also it's, it's cool to be in the area I am. You use a really great word journey. And I think that is a really good way to describe, like you were on the, the 68 win team in 22. And then obviously to come in 23 and play for the team that ended up winning the world series. Like, can you kind of put into perspective what that ride was like? It's, it's an emotional ride because you know, you, we prep with the first day of spring. We, we all agreed that this was the team when no one really thought we'd be anything. No one thought, we'd be in the point we were. And I think it's, it's beneficial to kind of think about it in a sense of we've, we showed people who we are as a team, but overall how we came in from lab that year before, not really winning a lot of games. And, you know, we had some coaching changes and had a lot of guys come in. We got some big name guys and I thought that helped us overall. I know some of them went down and it's unfortunate, but that's baseball. And, you know, we all deal with injuries some years, some days we 
we feel great and then days we don't feel good and we just got to make the most of it but we all picked each other up i think that was the biggest thing i think we had guys even though i was going up and down i was trying to be ready as possible because when they called me i needed to help because i wanted to win and i think that's what we preached this last year was the winning mentality and it's refreshing because i'd go down triple a and it would be the same mentality and i want i want to keep it that way even all the guys there they're trying to they're busting their butt to try and be a winning program too. And their minds of, they want to be championships and, you know, Doug Davis and everyone in that organization with AAA, it, they kept it that way. And we kept it simple in a sense of when you go to the big league, that shouldn't change. And Bochi kept it that way. And everyone from him down to trainers, to everybody, it, they kept it loose. They kept it relaxed and you're going to go through struggles and yeah, mid season struggles. And it's unfortunate, but, we had the group of guys to come together and we all, they all agreed and we all agreed that it's, it's time we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to be that team. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a different, like probably experience this year going in, going into this year, as opposed to last year, like last year, you guys obviously knew that you had a really great team, but you know, the prognosticators and everybody, they saw a 68 wins the year before there's, you know, there probably wasn't as many expectations, but coming into this year, big target on your back, you know, winning the world series, like, is, does it help to kind of have all of the veteran presences that you do have who've been there and done that to kind of guide you through, you know, trying to repeat as champions? Absolutely. I think obviously you're always going to have a target on your back when you win, but I think it's that culture we want to build as a, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a multiple thing and we're here to win. And I think it starts with the guys up the middle on the corner and pretty much everyone from the bench all the way to the coaching staff and, it shouldn't matter what position you are. It's when you get your opportunity, you, you capitalize and you help the team win. And I think that's where, regardless if I was playing or I wasn't, I was doing something to be ready. If it was getting ready for a lefty pitcher or if it was getting ready to back up somebody or if it was to go play first base if they had to pinch run or if it was to do something. And Bochy would joke with me and ask me, like, hey, you want to play outfield? And I'll tell him, yeah, sure. If if it helps us win, I'm going to play because that's the mentality we wanted to have. And, I don't think he would have done that, but it's just the mentality of that's like, that's what I was trying to preparate for. And that's all of us from what we did as a group. That was, it was to hold each other accountable and it helps to have Scherzer. It helps to have DeGrom. It helps to have Nate helps to have Corey and Marcus, Jonah, our coaching staff with the kind of the credentials they have as a group. It's, it was really easy to kind of like understand what we need to do as a group and play baseball at a, a high a high level but also be relaxed i like that yeah definitely you guys have a lot of guys with a lot of dirt in their spikes which obviously like it it helps for as a younger guy i'm sure you mentioned bruce bochi what i'm i'm fascinated what is it like playing for a guy that's obviously had such a legendary managerial career he comes in very first year world series like what what was that like playing for boach relaxed i it's weird because I didn't really, I followed Boach when I was a kid. I followed the Giants because Posey, Linscombe, all the, like Crawford, all those guys. And seeing Bochy in person, talking to him, it was a very relaxed conversation when I first met him and kind of playing under him. He makes you kind of, it's not a stressful environment. It's very relaxed, laid back. And he, he knows that we're good enough to do this. And there's going to be days where it's good and bad, but I think he, that trust he had in like, you knew what guys were going to be ready and go out there and what guys were going to come in and help the team later. That was always the preparation, the mentality. And we never really, 
changed our mentality. We always, it was consistent. So that's what we, we saw out of him and he made us relax and we're calm to go do our job. I love that. He, he's a former like catcher himself. Did you guys yeah. ever like talk about what it's like behind the dish? All the time. I, I bothered him a lot. So we we'd go into like stadiums and I go out and look at stadiums early, just to, like kind of hang out and he'd come out and talk to me and we'd just talk about how can you slow the game down? How can you be ready? How, obviously in consistent playing time you don't know when you're going to be ready but always be ready how did he handle her how did how did you do it a certain way and like how would you do it different and all those talks all those talks we had together and talking bobby wilson our catching guy bobby always helped me bobby still to this day i talk to him and we talk about like situations i need to be ready or what jonah went through or what hedges went through or mitch went through and how can you help guys out how can you make sure everyone knows that you're in control and how can you slow the game down for other guys knowing that, yeah, you're a young catcher, you're a young player, but you know what you're doing? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I love talking about catching because I feel like it's one of the most unique positions in all of sports. Um, can you take me back, though, like as a kid growing up playing the game, like what was it that initially kind of like pulled you into the catching position? The catching gear. So I didn't, I didn't really – I like catching, but I didn't really think of it as anything. I wouldn't, I would go on YouTube and like video like Salvador Perez or Joe Maurer, Matt Weeders, Buster Posey. And I would just watch video of Yadier Molina. I would just watch videos. Like it was, it wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm a catcher. It just, I became a catcher. It was, it wasn't fate, but it was something that I truly belonged in and a player. And I, I understood it. I got it. I, didn't care if I wore a ball off my wrist, I would still be ready. I would never try and avoid something. I'd always just go after it. And I liked the gear, but I was a third baseman shortstop when I was growing up. I played the infield. I was never really a catcher, but I liked the gear. So once I got used to catching, I was a freshman in high school and I was playing first base and I caught a little bit. I was behind a senior and I just, I was a freshman on varsity. So I just, I wasn't going to play over the senior. He was going to like Utah. So I, I was probably going to just play first base and then be a catcher after that. And once I was a catcher my sophomore year, that's when I started to really become a catcher. So I was eighth grade year. I maybe had some coaching, but I strictly was off of YouTube and probably not the best thing I should advise to do. But if you have something you're passionate about and you feel like you're athletic, athletic enough to do it, you should try and do it. It's something that I played basketball, football, baseball, hockey, I golf, like I, I did it all when I was younger, but I never really focused on baseball until I was after eighth grade year. I was strictly baseball because I didn't want to mess up my career. I didn't want to go play freshman football and blow out my shoulder or get a dislocation or something because that's how much I cared about baseball. I was so passionate about something I did. And my parents were very big on, if you're going to do something, you might as well pick one. Like you don't want to go hurt yourself and then screw up your career down the road. And so I, stayed in I didn't really want to play freshman football I didn't really go out as much I didn't do a lot of things that a lot of people did I like in my junior year I was going to go to people wanted me to go to prom and I said no and I went to a Pirates game against the D-backs so I never really I was strictly baseball I never really did anything but baseball so I've been that's been my whole life and it still is like I, I love playing baseball I love watching games. I love going through talking about things about baseball. So I've always been that guy. I don't think I've ever heard that perspective. That's very interesting. Cause like you always hear like, you know, you have to play a lot of sports. You have to be, you know, in the winter playing basketball, doing this, doing that. But like, 
did you find that focusing on baseball helped you out in the long term? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think playing other sports is beneficial, but you also got to I don't know if my dad made me think like that, but I had a perspective of like, I'm probably not going to be a good basketball player, so I'm not going to play basketball. I could play football, but I got to dedicate myself to football because I only played flag football. My parents were, my mom was a doctor or a nurse at the time. My dad's a has a PhD in audiology, so he knows about injuries and stuff. So I was kind of in a bad place to go play a physical sport. So I just was, I like baseball. My dad, my dad says he didn't force it on me, but I, I truly accepted baseball as it was. And I loved it. He built a cage in my backyard. He built like mounds so I could pitch. And my favorite pitcher was Tim Linscombe. So I, I, my dad built a wall and I'd throw against the wall. I wouldn't have a catcher catch. He would just paint a strike zone and I'd go in the back and just throw off the wall. Cause I never had, I didn't really want anyone thrown to. So I was pretty wild too. So I didn't know where it was going. So the wall was my best friend. You mentioned somebody uh, when you're going back to learning like the game of, or like the art of catching, you mentioned Matt Wieters and I'm an Orioles fan. I love Matt Wieters. Uh, he's a taller guy and, and you're, are you six, four or six, five? I'm six, four, but probably in cleats, I'm going to be six, five. Right. I would always just round up anyway. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're six, five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't like rounding up anymore. I just tell people I'm six, four because it sounds different when you hear six, five catchers. It's not usual. Ooh, okay. Of course, we have two of the bigger catchers in the league right now with Jonah being 6'4", 6'5", and I'm 6'4", 6'5". So you got the two bigger size catchers. Yeah, that's that's what I, I was like. I wanted to ask about that because, like, you know, when, when it, Matt Wieters was coming up, the thing with him was always, like, pitch framing. It's like he's a, he's a gigantic dude behind the dish, crouching down. It's, like, harder for him to, like, frame the bottom of the zone or get, like, lower to the ground. Like, have you noticed anything like that when it comes to pitch framing or any other parts of catching being a 6'4", 6'5 guy? Not usually, but the reason why is because we have such a good catching guy working with us, and that's Bobby Wilson. And I think having Bobby in our arsenal as coaching staff, I think is is amazing because I think Bobby will come to us, he'll talk to us, we'll do stuff beforehand, we'll do stuff during the games, he'll tell us something we're doing wrong so we can put ourselves in better positions. And, like, to Bobby's credit, like, it, he helps us become the best version of us. So it's one thing he tells us, but he holds us accountable and we do it. That's where it's beneficial for us and as an organization for helping us win because that's what me and Jonah want. That's what Mitch and Hedgie wanted. That's all we want is to win. So it, if it was me or him catching, we're going to be the best we can be, and he's going to help us get the low pitches or get those down away or up and in or wherever it is. Or if a pitcher misses arm side or glove side and you're set up arm side and you still have the way to frame it and get a strike, even though you're in the wrong, like wrong place at the time, he helps us stay there and do our job and at a high level, which I'm very thankful for. I'd love that. I also, I'm just like fascinated by pitch framing in general. Like, as somebody who's watched like, you know, weeders and then even just like across baseball, like Yachty, I feel like Yachty or Molina would get every single call off the plate. Like mm-hmm. what all goes into pitch framing and like trying to get that extra little like inch, inch and a half off the corner. Like what, what, what preparation do you have to do to kind of be good at that? I think it depends. Cause I watched Jonah and Jonah begin pitches well off the plate and you couldn't tell, like I'd watch yeah. it from the side and I'd look at Bobby and I'm like, that's a two balls off. And you could tell it was two balls off. And 
going to make it look like it's the same pitch down the middle. And I think it's making sure that move is the same move if you're catching it middle versus down away or up or down and in. So you want to make sure, and it's all about body positioning. It's about when you load your glove, how you load your body. And it's a science and there's a flow behind it, but it's very crucial on how you load your body. If you're in the right position to catch anything, you can catch anything. You can frame it any way. You can manipulate it any way you want, but it's about weighing and then ripping it to the middle as quick as possible at the last second. I've seen some really bad framing where it's like, it's very clear and it's very like not fluid. Is So is that the key to just kind of make it like a natural movement as opposed to like over here, over here? Yeah, it's, it's tough because catching is such an art and I think it's, it's, you got to really work at it for a sense of the timing and the comfortability. Cause you have a lot, you have that anxiety of how far can you let the ball travel to when you can receive it and bring it to center. That's a lot of anxiety on a player. And then also with runners on second and third, game seven of the world series that's going to be a lot of anxiety so you got to really slow yourself down to the preparation you put in before the game or the stuff you're doing in between innings how do you keep yourself locked in on what you need to do to help you at the the highest point at the the game and the most crucial intense moment it's just the preparation it's understanding what you need to do as a player and a catcher to help the pitcher off of that off of like the mental side like is that weird? Is that like a weird feeling like when you grab a ball and it's clearly a ball and you like it gets called a strike? Like have you ever had like a really, really blatantly not a strike called a strike? Oh, yeah. And like you have to like, yeah. It's like, it's you get that you get a you don't want to smirk and you know players are gonna probably talk about or ask like how far off is that or is that on the corner? And you know it's a good ball or two, but you wanna be respectful. If the umpire talks to you, you talk to them about it and you kinda of conversate, but at the end of the day, that, that pitch he might not call the first inning. And Hedgie would talk about it. That same pitch he wouldn't call the first inning. And you're framing it, and you keep framing it. And then the ninth inning, he calls it that time, and you get it finally. That's the best feeling in the world because you've manipulated him into thinking that whole pitch that he called the ball the first inning. And now he calls it at the most crucial time at the last part of the game, and you get it. That's, that's all we're trying to do. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from two apparel sponsors of this podcast. The first is Zero Negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products. Check them out at zeronegative.com. And last but not least, Few Will Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia, out to restore the dignity of hard work. It is by far my favorite shirt to work out in. Check them out online at fewwillhunt.com. Now back to the episode. How much do hitters turn around and talk to you in the umpire? Not so much me unless I know. And I know a lot of guys, they might talk to me a little bit, but they, I, I would say like 50-50. It depends on who they are as a player. Now, if it's like a very smart veteran player like Michael Brantley, he might look at him and say, where is it? But he won't ever disrespect them, and they usually – it's just conversations. You ask them, they talk about it. They're never going to be disrespectful. Now, if you're disrespectful, I get it. You're probably frustrated. It's crucial time. You might be going through a slump or you're going through a two-week skid, and that's baseball. And every player goes through it. I go through it. I ask questions even when I'm hitting. And it's just you got to understand the the situation. You want to blow up, but you also want to get the right calls because it's human error. Everyone's going to mis- make mistakes. That's the game. 
Uh, one thing that I've noticed, and obviously it's a big trend in baseball right now, is just like the impact of like the rule changes and just like the, the impact it's had on like the, the base running game. Stolen bases are up across the league. Um, as a catcher, like how have you kind of worked to combat this? Because I think stolen bases, I think it's this year was like the highest it's ever been or something. I think, and this is talking with Bobby too and Boach, just about how do we control it? And it's backpicking, it's doing slide steps, it's doing your holds, whole pitch, just mixing up times. Because when I was in Triple when they first implemented it, it was tough because you disengage once, you get one time to pick over. So the runner knows, okay, if he picks over, I can go, I can get a better lead, and I just got to do it to where it's close enough I can get in, but it's far enough to where I'll get even a little bit half second of a jump more. And it's it's frustrating because you were used to, you know, you play the game. You want to manipulate time. You want to make sure the runner doesn't go. But also it does create a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress during games to make the game interesting, which it's it's awesome. But it is tough as players because you want to slow the game down. You want to make sure you make the right calls. But it does make you have to work on the fly and understand things a little quicker for you as a player to get yourself in the right position to help your pitcher because – you could be thinking about him and do the wrong pitch or wrong location. The guy gets a double and now they're, you're losing two to one or something instead of having the time to think and then, Oh, I'll just call a pitch here and you get that runner still on. It's different, but it's, it's definitely a lot more interesting for the game. I think it's a lot quicker, but also it, it stinks sometimes because you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's putting pitchers and catchers in a weird spot. Like yeah. we had Matt Strom on and he yeah. was like, I used to be able to like slow the game down, use like looks and like different ways to like control the running game. And obviously now with like the pickoffs being limited and everything, like is the pitcher catcher relationship something that like you put a greater emphasis on now to try to like combat the threat of stolen bases? Absolutely. I think you got to know your pitchers. You got to know how they work. If a guy doesn't, he holds them, but he needs, he needs like a little more of like, like notify him like hey like do a whole pick or just do a whole pitch just do your slide stuff just stuff to like make sure they know like because they're in their own head they want to make sure they're locked in you don't want them to get to a point where they're just rolling through stuff and they're doing the same thing or not switching it up they want to be we want them to be at their highest level of performance we don't want them to think anymore we want to help them that's our whole mentality yeah especially with like the game being so sped up, which like as a fan, it's great. Cause like, you know, sometimes three and a half hour games are brutal, but um, my, I have a question about whenever you guys like call time, I think, I think that obviously has been reduced. And like, when you go out to the mound and everything, what, what's like the percentage of time that like, when you go out to the mound, is it just like, is it for advice or is it mostly for like, Hey, let's get you a breather. You know, let's just, you know, 15 seconds here or there. Like what, what is that walk out to the mound? Like, what do you use that for? It depends because you could, you have a Scherzer out there that knows what he's doing and you don't need to really go tell him anything, but you could also go out there and tell him what you want to do and just tell him as it is. And if he doesn't agree with you, you guys say, okay, what do you want to do? Let's do it. Not go out there. Hey, I just want to give you a breather. There's sometimes you want to like, there's times where you need to do that, but there's also times where you need to tell him like, Hey, this is the pitch we need to go. I know you have an idea and you have a plan, but we need to do this in this situation. And, He'll agree with you or not, but at the end of the day, it's his. He has the ball. He's gonna do what he needs to do. We're just suggestions, but we want to make sure they don't get into a rut where they do go too quick or they don't have a breather. They're getting into a place where they're not throwing consistent pitches at any point. So it, there are times where you need to go out there and slow it down for them, and there's times where you just want to slow the game down overall 
for everyone to make sure everyone's back into where they need to be. And then you go execute the next pitch. I'm glad you mentioned Scherzer because the Rangers rotation, I feel like has, it's like a very veteran, very experienced group, like him DeGrom, like, you know, Montgomery and all these guys, like as a catcher, like working with veteran pitchers that are like at the top of their games, like, is it, what's the back and forth? Like, is it like a lot of like, they kind of know what they want? Are they open to, you know, are they receptive to what you have to say? Like what, what's the back and forth like with a veteran group? I think every, every pitcher is, pretty open to talking i think it's if you have something you need to talk about talk about but if you're just going to talk about random stuff don't don't go over and talk to them because you don't want to bother them you want to make sure they're in their they're in the game mode that they need to stay focused on and some guys want to be talked to some guys don't and i think it's picking and choosing your battles of when you need to go but if you have something you see something you should speak up and talk to them about it because at the end of the day that's the game is you see something he might not see it because i'm standing right next to the hitter if you see he's turned his body before he pitches or he's scooting up on the plate, just take away the sliders or something or sinkers, or he's doing something to cheat a little bit. Next time he comes around, you remind him, Hey, I see him doing this. Make sure you, you understand that I'll remind you, but just know this. And they'll be like, oh, okay. But overall kind of preparation, you can, you can talk to them. They might have their own plan in their head. You can just bounce ideas off them, but a lot of them usually have a good idea. And Mike Maddox, having him kind of help us too. He's an awesome person, good character. I, I was there, very thankful to get to work with Mike and ongoing with our relationship next this year and the years of coming. It's It's been fun. It's He makes everything loose. He also, I go talk to him after games. I catch just to like get his feedback and talk to him about in this situation, would you go this or what would you in another situation, this pitch and our bullpen guy, Brett Hayes talking to him and then talking to our bullpen guys, our catchers and all our pitchers there. It's knowing your pitchers. It's the relationship. You want to know what your pitcher does front and back. You don't want to just know him from the field. You want to know him off the field. You want to know what he does on his free time. If he has a family, you just need to know him as a person. Cause at the end of the day, if you're going through it with him and he got, he's got to trust you, he's got to genuinely trust you. He can't just trust you a little bit and you go from there. It's you got to know your guys. Wow. I've never heard it articulated like that. Uh, you mentioned somebody that, um, again, I, I use this word a lot, but I just, I'm so like interested in learning more about like what it's like working with Max Scherzer. Um, I, you know, I, you know, grew up around DC. I saw him a lot. It's, he's very intense. I think is a good word. Um, what has been your experience working with, uh, with Mad Max? he's mad max but he's uh he's cool like i i grew up watching him too you know he d-backs when he was first with them i watched him and ian kennedy and me and my dad still talked about to this day why i don't know why they traded him to detroit or what did they think if he they really thought he was going to get hurt at that age but they traded him and my dad and i still talk to this day about it when i was younger talking about it and it's it's crazy to be there with him and work with him, hear him work, how he thinks. You know, I caught a couple of his bullpens and what he emphasizes, what he wants to do, and how he goes through hitters, how he wants to preparate to get ready to attack hitters. And it's it's fun to watch. It's also fun to watch him during games. You don't want to bother him, but he does his own routines. He has his own <laughs> things he likes to do, and I think it's awesome to be able to see that. So I, talking to Jonah, too, talking to Hedgie and Mitch when they catch him, whether they – what do they see if they catch him or what do they usually do? And they keep it simple. They don't want to go too much, but they also, they, it's like what I talked about earlier about 
they see something, they'll tell them and they'll tell them what they think and in that situation is best to do. So he's, he's definitely, you can talk to him, you can work with him, but also he has his plan and what he wants to do. Did it take you a while to kind of like develop your voice as a catcher? Because like, you know, I'm, I'm probably more on the introvert side. I, I don't love speaking up, but like you mentioned, that's a big part of your job is just like, you know, when you see something speaking up and not being afraid to speak your mind, like, did that always come easy for you? Or is that something you had to work on? I had to work on it. I, I still work on it. I mean, everyone works on things like that every day. Like you get a new, if you sign somebody that's a big name guy, you don't want to like, you don't want to go in and be the same guy you are, but you don't want to be too much. You want to make sure you're respectful. And I'm very, I try to be very respectful at the start and make sure they understand that I'm not going to go out and be a kind of an idiot towards them. I want to make sure they know that I want to earn their respect by the playing field. And once they get them my respect, then it's going to be a lot easier. But at the end of the day, you got to make sure you're professional in the position I play. You kind of have to be that person that goes up and talks to them right away and gets to know them. And I learned that from Trevi, Jose Trevino, about how to be that guy. And Jonah talking to Mitch and Hedges, the very good catchers, extremely good catchers, getting to know what they do. And it's just, you just got to be confident. You got to go out and you got to talk your, your two cents. You got to understand what you got to do and you got confidence behind. You don't, feel like you're don't feel like you're being too much but also make sure they know that you're you see what's going on and you're not just throwing out bs you're you're ready and you know your stuff how much of your game like what percentage of your time are you spending like in the preparation mode are you somebody that like loves to be to like know everything there is to know like i i love to over prepare it's one of my favorite things i do uh are you somebody that kind of does those same things yeah and there's some days where I need to do less because there might, I might get through a rabbit hole where I go too much instead of just keeping it simple and easy. And that's what Mike told me and taught me is to, you don't need to, you don't need to paint the whole picture. You just need to give them your snippets and you need to be quick and short. Cause at the end of the day, when you're doing hitter meetings or pitcher meetings with the pitcher about what the hitters are going to do, you don't want to make it too big. You want to make sure it's quick and it's short and sweet and it sticks in their head because at the end of the day, you don't want to tell them every single thing because that pitcher might be mis- Mr. Information or he might not really need all that information because it's like hitting. I'm a hitter that doesn't want to know too much, but if I know too much, then I start thinking. So it's you got to keep it simple and easy as a player because that, simpli- that simplicity of you as a player is going to make it easier for you to play. It's fa- Yeah, it's like it's something that not a lot of people talk about, but just like I guess you have finding that balance of like being prepared, but also being confident that like, you know, you know enough to kind of make adjustments. I feel like that's, that might be, that might be kind of like the MO. Um, yeah. The, so what, what's the percentage breakdown of your time? Are you spending, how much time are you spending preparing for catching and how much are you working on hitting? So catching, I'll probably and hitting. I usually watch video. I watch catching stuff for not just on me, just on other hitters. I'll do about two hours worth the night before and then I'll watch hitting stuff two hours the night before. And then I'll wake up that morning and we'll do it again. I'll do my pitcher review. Whoever's pitching that day, I'll do a, the hitters towards the pitcher strengths. And then I'll do all their stuff. I'll go through it again. I'll probably talk to Bobby or I'll, I'll text one of our analytical guys to like kind of go over with them just so I have all the snippets of like what I want to say. And it's not too much, not too little. And then I'll meet with Mike when I get to the field. And then we'll meet with the pitchers and then I'll meet with the pitcher again right before we go out. And then hitting, usually I watch a lot of video. I 
not so much on my swing, but when I'm in the cage, I watch video of my swing, but more about the pitcher and how they work, what's their strengths, what's their weaknesses, where do they usually tend to go, where do they punch out guys. It's just it's just all what you need to learn. And I spend a lot of time. I try to keep it I try to keep it short and sweet, but also I want to know who I'm playing because if I haven't played that team ever, I'd like to know their bullpen. So I'll go through their bullpen, then we'll go through a hitters meeting, and I'll go through it again. I'll talk to the hitting coaches, Tim, Donnie, and Seth, and I'll go with them and talk to them and just kind of get what they see and what they've seen over the times he's pitched in the last three games just to like keep it refreshed. And then once I get in, it's just short and sweet. Do you guys have a, b- a bunch of cool, like, analytical ways of breaking down pitches and like identifying what they are like so here we had we we know pete we we're talking about pete fairbanks earlier we had him on and, and baseball savant calls his he calls it a splitter but pete calls it a changeup. um i'm wondering i guess what the difference is between those two and like is are they similar enough where like you know a baseball savant could call it one thing but he the person who throws it calls it something different so yeah so like it depends because, like, Jose Leclerc throws a slambio, but it's just a slider. So it's a different it's a different way he calls it. But there's a lot of different ways you can call pitches. There's sometimes where guys will throw splitties and they'll say it's a changeup because of I don't know how the way the ball moves. But I'll ask the guys like, is that changeup? And they're like, no, it's a it's a split. And it's like, oh, it looks like a changeup. And then it looks like a split. And like, hey, is that a split? And no, it's a changeup. Then some guys like. Franberg Valdez says his slider is a slider, feels like it's a curveball though. It just then his cutter is actually looks like a slider. So it's it just depends because some people deem things as something else, and then some people are like, no, that's actually a slider. It just has the axis of something different. And I don't know why Pete, it looks like it's a split. I don't know why he says it's a changeup or whatever he says it is, but. He is just a different animal. So that's why it's, it just depends. And I've, I've talked to Pete when I was catching him when he was rehabbing, his ball still does the same thing. It comes in super hard and he just throws the crap out of it. So it's definitely, you talk to guys and there's sometimes like, no, like I throw a change up. Well, that moves like a split finger. So, okay. Wait, was that, was that a pitch he had in Texas? Did he have a third pitch? Was he always, or was he just fastball slider? He was just fastball slider, and then because that was at the time that was their big like there was in Arlington the old stadium, so the ball flew, so you didn't want to throw anything that stayed up enough to where they could get it. So I think now with the new stadium, it's definitely a little more easier to. It's not as hitter friendly, but it is if you get it, you get it. So I think it depends. You know, teams sometimes like Colorado, they like sinker guys because the ball flies in Colorado, but it just depends on the pitcher and then the player overall to go with that style of pitching with the organization. And I think it's definitely tough because you don't want to, you don't want to make people mad. You want to piss people off, but also you got to stick true to what you do. That's fascinating. Yeah. He gave me shit for that. So that was, that was a very funny, very funny moment last year where Pete does that. That's just, that's just Pete. I throw it. It's a change up. I was like, okay, geez. Yeah. (laughs) He gets, he's hostile when he talks about, he gets really hostile really quick. It was very funny. 
We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bass podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bass sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. Okay, I just had a couple last questions for you. Um, so playing in Oakland, uh, how much of a pain is the mile of foul territory? And like, are there stadiums where like their backdrops are like, do you have like a, a favorite where like if a ball goes back, it just pops right back to you? Backstops. Ooh. I do think playing in Oakland as a kid coming up, seeing that, and then I my first game was when Cespedes was still playing there and it was against Detroit and Miggy hit a ball out. And I remember seeing, I think it was like Johnny Gomes or somebody popped up or foul ball and whoever was running after was still running. And that's when I really got the perspective of how far away the foul lines are from the seats of Oakland. And it does hit you a little bit different as a player because you look and it's like, geez, it's still going. The guy's still running. He could eat shit when he's going over the mound or something, but it just – that was always fascinating to me and guys still do, but guys make the plays and sometimes they don't. It's just, you got to know your whereabouts. And I think the unknown with Oakland, you, you keep going and it's like, when is it going to stop? And I think that's the biggest thing when it's, you're in Oakland, it's okay. You're, you're up, you're looking. It's like, okay, when am I going to hit the dirt? And then you hit the dirt and it's the wall and that's it. Yeah. So it's, it gets on you quicker than you think. And that's why it's, it's interesting playing Oakland. That's why it's so much fun. I, I do like playing Oakland. I think it's been fun. I haven't, I never really got to experience it as a player seeing the fans. But when I was there young, I think it was like 2014 or something, seeing the fans. We were in left field and we we're watching, and they still had the drums. They had all the like the super fans, and I thought it was cool to watch as a, a fan at a young age. See how before it kind of what everything has happened the past year or so. It's it's kind of cool to kind of see it before everything kind of happened. Yeah. And, also, as a catcher, like. I my heart would sink if I let a ball go past me because I feel like I would still be running after it. I feel like that's like that's the worst feeling in the world. And there'd be there's a big league dream. There's a they had like mock fields of like big league game, like stadiums when I was a kid. And I just remember I think it was I think it was Boston. The the backstop was a little bigger, I guess. But it would just feel like you're running a mile because that's the worst feeling in the world when you let a ball go through your six hole and. You turn around and it's just, oh, I got to run back there with all the fans. And it sucks because you don't ever want that to happen. But it's baseball. It will happen to you. It'll find you. That's what I always say. It will find you. It will weed you out. So it's funny to kind of see that as a player and still go through it. You know, we're human. But also that gut-wrenching feeling of, okay, it feels like you let down the world almost. Yeah, especially with the gear, too. That's probably the most uncomfortable jog of your life. Just like, all right, I have to be frantic and also I'm weighed down. Um, do you, uh, so we had Colin Thoreau. I think you might know him. He's like Yankees bullpen catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I know him really. I, so we played uh, when I was in 21 when I was hurt, and I knew him for the years before that. I was rehabbing. He was there still playing at uh, Midland when, we were in, when I was in Frisco. I was playing first, and there was a foul ball, and I think that was the last. I saw him in New York last time, but that was the last time I actually saw him on the field, like, I think playing. I think he played that day or something, but I bopped him on the head and said, what's up? And he kind of laughed, and we talked after that. But I saw him in New York this last uh, away series when we were there. So 
he he's great. He he told a story about when he had a role as Chapman in the bullpen. He wouldn't wear a chest protector. Uh, and he said Chapman used to like spike balls like five feet in front of him. He's like diving and also trying not to get killed. Um, have you caught Chapman in Texas? So I never got to, I got to see his flat grounds and every time I tried to catch him, he never would really get off the mound as much, but I would always watch him and it's, it's crazy to watch. You know, it's big man, like six, 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 five, just full muscle, just a hundred miles an hour coming at you. Just, it's intense. So it's, but it's cool to watch. It's cool to see him do his work. It was fun to have him as a teammate and watch him do his work and how he played. And it was definitely something that I've always try to want to see in person and i got to so it was definitely fun yeah he's been pitching for so long too like could you ever imagine catching him without the, the chest plate though i, I feel yeah. like that's i think that's that was crazy. a bold move on him i don't know how, good for him but i would never have done that <laughs> yeah it's, it's like you know he doesn't throw 103 anymore but he's still throwing like 98 i don't want that his his four seams 98 and his two seam that's a runner that takes off as 103 so it's just like oh hopefully <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't take off too much, but when he lets it eat, he lets it eat. Still got it, yeah. Uh, what's the worst foul tip injury you've ever had? And have you ever had a ball fouled off you, but like, do you ever like play it off as if it didn't hurt when it actually really did? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, all, all the time. I never – I try my best not to show the pain I go through when I get hit, but my goal is to never show anybody when I get hit that I it hurt. But the only time I think I felt pain, because it hit me twice in the same spot, was my shoulder right where the chest protector, the the shoulder guard kind of meets. Yeah. Where that, that vel the BS Velcro is, I get a foul ball hit right there, and I I'm like okay, and I kind of throw the ball back to see if my shoulder can move, and then like two pitches later, same spot, get hit there, and I kind of sat there and I like. I held my arm down. I like got the ball and I like flipped it back and I bounced it. And the umpire looked at me. And he was like, I got you. And he threw it back. And I was like, I don't know if I can throw it back. So let's hope that I can do it that time. And I think adrenaline kicked in and I was fine. And then the next day I had this big bruise on like the middle of my shoulder <laughs> leading into my pack. So it was terrible, but never have I in balls off your knees, like right off your kneecap, right where the shin guard is, you think would, protect you the most it doesn't so i got hit there a couple times and you can't walk the next day but it's you definitely get in the hot tub gear body moving blood flow it goes away but those are the worst feeling foul tip pitches and you don't want to show anybody because it's yeah i think you're a wuss or something so i just every time i get hit i've just you ask for the ball kind of just throw it back and just hope you don't you just breathe it out you don't really yell or anything so it's you never want to show it, but it's definitely it's difficult when you do in the moment. It's just it's an it's a very gut wrenching feeling as well. Just like internally, kind of like going ow. <laughs> yes, and That's... you just don't you don't want to show it, but it's definitely in your mind. You're like, oh. like you want to lay down and just sit there for a second because it's it stinks. What what do you do with your your all your non glove hand? Do you put it behind your back or do you have it out like in front? Because I feel like growing up, like they always were like, you know, the catchers that have their off hand kind of you know in that area, like that's a foul tip just right off the finger. So that was the thing they used to teach us to put your hand like to your like right here. So when you transfer, that was like when I first got drafted. Oh, okay. So then now what I do is I'll tuck it in like my thigh, like where my thigh and my right knee are, and just kind of tuck it there with my thumb right here. 
but with no one on, I'll keep my right knee up and I'll keep it behind like my foot or my, like my back just for safety purposes. But I've been hit there. I've been hit foul balls. I've been blocked. I block with my bare hand and it just, sometimes you just can't, you can't stop. You just got to like keep going. And I blocked the ball in the Dominican just with my hand. I picked the ball up and it was raining too. So I couldn't really do anything about it, but threw the ball back and next day I could barely squeeze my hand. It was just, it's just the position we play, what we do, it's it's not easy, but no one ever said it was going to be easy, so we might as well do it. I like that, yeah. Although, if you keep that up, your hands are going to look like offensive linemen where, like, the knuckles are all bent weird and, like... <laughs> as long as I get to play the game, that's all I care about. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I've heard that the pitch comp can be edited, like, mm-hmm. to say different things or do different things. Like, have you experimented with that so far, or, like, is that not... Like, have you not done that yet? I've, I haven't really personally experienced it or tried to kind of edit it myself. I think the team does, and they kind of program it for us. So they'll have, like, first and third. They'll have, like, a, I guess, a like, a, a some kind of play to, like, say, they'll say, like, like, here we go or something. Just something to, like, so everyone knows, like, pays attention what's going on and that you can change it to, like, fastballs down away fastball up and in cutters you can do location you can do picks slide step inside moves that glove drop i think there's they put everything on there but i know hedgy did when he was with the indians or the guardians and then he said he programmed it himself and he said it was fun but i've never personally gotten to program one because i don't know what i would say on it in the first place but it's definitely easier when you have like Bobby doing it because Bobby is pretty good at what he does. And so I, I think him programming for me and everyone and everyone knows what it says and no one's going to be thrown off with, if there was a, a key word that we're looking for, it's, it's pretty easy. I like that. All right. Last question. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice. Stay present. I think so. I I worked out a lot a long time, and I still, thankfully, in communication with a lot of the guys, I've worked out at a place in Tempe, and Howie Kendrick worked out there, Daniel Nava, Alex Cobb, CJ Crone, a lot of guys, a lot of big leaders, and so I met Cole Calhoun. That was my one of my better friends, and. I still talk to him and Howie and Daniel and all them still to this day. And all they would tell me, and it would be the same thing. It wouldn't even be remotely different. It would just be you know, stay present and worry about the now. Don't ever worry about the future of the past because you can't control it. So why would you worry about it? You got to stay present. You got to understand you're going to go through ups and downs. But if you stay present, you'll be a successful baseball player if you hold yourself accountable to that day. I like that. That's really solid advice. Uh, Sam, you're the man. This has been awesome. Big fan. Like this, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll be rooting for the Rangers this year. So, uh, thank you so much for your time and best of luck this season. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band stick figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. And